Good morning, everybody. Thursday, 27th of January. I hope you had a lovely Australia day. I played golf in sweltering heat. Probably shouldn't have bothered. Right, we've woken up. I have not spent, or I've not for a long time, woken up wondering whether the US market has crashed. That tells you a lot, doesn't it? But that's what I'm doing in the mornings. You probably are as well, leaning across wondering if the Dow's going to be down 1,000 points or something. That tells a story, a lot of uncertainty around. And overnight, again, with the Fed meeting that was on, this morning was one of those mornings. As it is, we appear to have survived. The US market wasn't doing anything. And then the Fed meeting came out at 2.30. The US market or the Dow Jones. People use the Dow Jones, by the way, because the index is... 34,168 at the moment. That's 34,000 compared to the S&P 500, where the index is a tenth of that, 4,349. The numbers don't mean anything. It's just an index number. But the point being that the Dow Jones number, the index number, is 10 times bigger, sort of, than the S&P 500. So you get a bigger points move. So the Dow Jones overnight, for instance, moved 129 points. That tells you a lot more than watching the S&P 500, which moved 6.5 points. So this is why people watch the Dow Jones. It's actually a terrible index because it only has 30 stocks in it and they're not market cap weighted. So it's really a rubbish index. It's just custom that we use it. But in an overnight sense, it's a lot more interesting to wake up to because the move will be a few hundred points as opposed to a few points. That's why people watch the Dow Jones. Anyway, the Dow Jones overnight after the Fed came out, you'll see the chart in the spy section today, it fell 700. 180 points and then bounced about 300 points into the close. So people didn't like the Fed meeting. You might have thought that whatever the Fed said, their meeting got rid of a significant uncertainty for the market. But no, they were particularly hawkish. Let's do a few of the things that the Fed said. They were more hawkish than expected. Money printing is going to end. Rates are going to rise. Inflation is clearly the focus, which is a bit of a worry because if that's their priority, then their secondary role, which is supporting the financial markets at all costs, has clearly taken a back seat for the moment as the Fed tried to prevent inflation from becoming, in their own word, entrenched. And we saw an inflation number from the US. The last number was the highest since 1980s, the 1980s, at 7%. There's a chart of that inflation number. The question, of course, is whether this is a result of the pandemic, of the supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic, as they say it, and whether it is a function of the reopening of the economy that have driven has driven inflation to elevated levels and whether it's going to rapidly come off from here. Anyway, we are at the peak. Clearly, the FOMC have flinched at inflation rather than ignored it. They are concerned about it being entrenched or getting entrenched as opposed to being transitory. And so we have this hawkish Fed meeting. The other issue is that they have said that policy is related to the jobs market, but they've described the jobs market now as solid. And that is despite the Omicron outbreak and cases at record levels. The jobs market is solid. Inflation is at record levels, highest levels in 40 years, and they are worried that it's going to stay there. So they have said that 
they are likely to raise rates in March. That is not a surprise at all. The bond market was already factoring in a 100% chance of a March rate rise. The next Fed meetings on March the 16th, then May the 4th. So 100% chance of a rate rise on March the 16th. That was already factored in. But it is a question of whether there are two rate rises, three rate rises, or four rate rises this year. The chances of a 50 basis point rate rise in March jumped overnight from 5.8% to 16.3%. That is still notably unlikely, therefore, because there is an 83.7% chance of just a 25 basis point rise. But whatever, the chances of a 50 basis point rate rise in March has doubled overnight. And on top of rate rises, the Fed have said that they intend to end bond purchases, which is money printing to you, in March. And after March, they intend to launch a significant reduction in asset holdings. That means the opposite of money printing. They say that will start, or the balance sheet reduction program will start after the liftoff in interest rates, so after March. And they've not set a specific date, pace, or final size of the nine, currently $9 trillion balance sheet. But they have said that it will be pared back. They will also shift away from mortgage-backed securities and weight their assets towards US treasuries. And they will reduce the size of their balance sheet primarily by limiting how much of the principal from maturing bonds they will reinvest each month. In other words, as bonds mature, they will just let them disappear. So there you go. Fed, super hawkish, worried about inflation. Jobs market allows them to raise rates. How fast that happens is the constant debate, but market didn't like it. Down 780 points in the hour or two after the meeting, then had a bit of a bounce. As I speak to you, the Dow futures have gone from being up 200 points to down, sorry, they're not down anymore, to up 40. So they've dropped a couple of hundred points this morning. Our market at one point was up 81 points. And as I speak, it has dropped 100 points. It's down now down 22 so my BBOS, which is the Better Shares Geared Bear ETF, which I was thinking of closing out this morning, I think I'm just going to hold on to it for the minute. The other issue, of course, is the Ukraine. I've put a picture of tanks rolling across the motorway in Crimea towards the Ukraine border. And I made the comment that it's so 1940s, isn't it? Why are world leaders obsessed with muscles and military might? It's so old fashioned. What the world could do with cooperation collaboration and it's got to be said the 1.98 trillion dollars spent globally on the military last year what if that was spent on progress the future dare I say making the planet a better place sooner we rotate these cold war mindset leaders out the better whatever the Ukraine sorry I shouldn't say stuff like that I'll get emails whatever the Ukraine remains a short-term risk which could deliver an explosive short sharp shock at any time as it has in the past it would spike energy prices lower GDP forecasts and inject a lot of investor uncertainty and everybody would go risk off it's what institutional fund managers do and investors and you do just lose a bit of ambitiousness and willingness to take risks 
if tanks start shooting things in the media. You go risk off, which means cash is left in cash. Profits are taken more easily. Uh, high PE stocks are not given the benefit of the doubt. In fact, nothing's given the benefit of the doubt and the market tends to go down. Now, having said that, I've put some very interesting charts in the spy section today, making a point I've known and anyone would have known. Henry knows as well, having lived through the 1990s in the stock market. The S&P 500 went from 1,600 down to 800 in one, two, three years in 2000. It's a tech wreck, of course, but still plenty of big companies in there as well. The US stock market halved, went from 1,600 to 800. And part of the problem there was not just the tech wreck. It was the anticipation of war in Iraq. It was 9-11. It was terrorism. And that created a terrible backdrop for the US market. But on the 20th of March 2003, the Iraq war started and that almost to the day that was the bottom of the market. And from that point, the stock market doubled in three years. Point being, geopolitical risk or particularly events like war tend to create opportunities in the stock market and get rid of uncertainty. It might sound silly, but if you're worrying about war when it actually breaks out, things become more certain, people get more confident. It can actually benefit the economy as well and markets bounce. Now, they did that on the 20th of March 2003 and they also did that when the first Gulf War, Bush Senior War as opposed to Bush Junior War. When the Bush Senior War broke out on the 17th of January 1991, the market immediately popped. The S&P 500 went from 310 up to 400, in fact 420 in the next year. So these geopolitical events are worse to travel than arrive. And when the Russians or if the Russians do eventually roll over the border, you might find the markets are slightly relieved, although clearly energy prices would shoot up again. Anyway, volatility high at the moment, volatility high. Have a look at the chart of the VIX in the spike section well out of the standard bull market range. We've resisted cashing up in the portfolios in this recent correction. I cashed up a bit too or have cashed up a bit too readily in the past. Although it has to be said, cashing up can deliver significant non-financial benefits like allowing you to sleep at night in times of turbulence. And this is one of those times not every strategy is measured in dollars, might be measured in your body battery or whatever other app you've got on your phone, which tells you how well you slept. For long-term investors who haven't yet sold anything, I don't think we're on the edge of a precipitous cliff. I could be wrong, of course, but I'm not still not going to cash up the portfolios. I've got a fairly heavy weighting to banks and iron ore, both of which seem to be outperforming what the US markets are doing anyway. But having said that, I can see that the market is probably, at this point, looks like it's going to have a tougher year ahead against the backdrop of rising interest rates rather than falling interest rates. The the unwinding of money printing rather than money printing and an ingrained inflation risk rather than a benign disregard of inflation. Plus, of course, we've got Ukraine. So you don't need to be boldly going into equities at the moment. If you were cashed out, I'd be quite happy to be cashed out waiting for the bargains to turn up.
as I say, I haven't woken up wondering if the US market is crashed overnight for some years. This is not a time to be confident or overconfident about the equity market. I think it's too early to be buying the bargains. You are just catching the knife at the moment. So leaving the market alone, but not worried about a precipitous sell-off. So haven't cashed up portfolios. But I know a lot of you from your emails, a lot of you have sold on our recent or my recent vibe about the market. As I say, I just wouldn't be putting the money back in yet. A lot of stocks are oversold, particularly banks, for instance, Telstra ahead of their results. They're oversold, but there are no buy signals yet, I think is the point. I am still holding my BBOZ, BBOZ, which is the ETF that is geared to the stock market falling. If I was losing money, I probably wouldn't tell you about it, but there you go making a bit of money on that at the moment and letting it run for now. Ideas today, best idea there was go and play golf for a month. I remember working at Nomura, Nomura in the 80s in London and the 87 crash happened and post the crash, there was a team of four guys who used to trade the principal money of Nomura. So this is where a broker or an investment bank or whatever you want to call Nomura, who are operating out of a London office. They had four people who were trading the markets trying to make money with Nomura's balance sheet. And post 87, they were just chewing up money, trying to be smart trading into a savagely falling market. And I remember the head of trading eventually calling the ball and sending them all home and literally paying them to play golf so that they stopped burning money by turning up and trading into a falling market. So I've always felt there are times when you just need to go and play golf and you'll actually make more money than you will trying to trade a market going down. It might be one of those times or anime talking my own book, go off and play golf, might be more fun. In the spy section, I've put a list of bigger companies with RSI sell signals. There were only two RSI buy signals and both of them were inverse ETFs. So lots of sell signals around, lots of oversold stocks at the moment, lots of bargains to be had just as soon as the market perks up, but it's not perking up at the moment. As I leave you, we're down four having been up 81, so 20 point bounce whilst I've been talking to you. Iron ore doing fabulously, BHP up 3%, Rio up 3.3%, Banks doing doing okay as well. Most of those are up today. ANZ up 2%. Westpac up 1.4%. Clearly a bit of bottom feeding going on. Energy stocks are also flying up. Woodside up 4%. Santos up 3.6% as Ukraine threatens and all the damage at the moment being done in technology stocks. We've got zero down 5%. Realestate.com down 4%. WiseTech down 6%. Seek down 4%. Buy Simple Industry sell tech the theme at the moment. Anyway, that's about that for now. I will wake up tomorrow morning again wondering whether the US has crashed and that tells all. You have a fabulous day and I will speak to you soon. (laughs) 